Hello, welcome to the Lansing Area Church of Christ's weekly message podcast. If you'd like to learn more about LACC, please visit us online at lansingchurch.org. This week, Franco Vaslu preached a lesson titled, The Most Excellent Way. All right, morning. My name is Franco. I think 94% of you know me. Um, but for the internet that doesn't, uh, I am part of the Young Professionals Ministry here, and I don't do this every day, um, but we're going to get, oops. oh, it's just that screen. We're going to get going here today. Um, the message is coming out of the book of First Corinthians. It's titled, The Most Excellent Way, and um, I'm going to start off like this. Start off with a brief history of the whole entire world this morning. Um, so there's the world, and we are tucked in around the corner there. You can't really see us. Uh, we're focusing on a little bit different section, and we're not actually going to do the whole history, don't worry. See that little red circle that I drew? That is where Corinth is located. So bird's eye view, and now we're going to get in a little bit closer. Um, that is Greece. And that little strip of land in between the north part and the southern part um, is the Isthmus. It's not a peninsula because it's two sides, not surrounded by water, but an Isthmus of Corinth. And the city of Corinth is located right there. Um, so just I'm thinking about what makes a place, you know, like what makes Lansing. We have, um, if you get out your mitt, you know, like we're right in the middle of everything. We're within striking distance of all the major cities down here. So there's that. There's also the fact that it's kind of swampy, and also apparently we're right in Tornado Alley, you know, for Michigan. Um, so that's kind of what goes into what makes a place, but also the culture. Some people would say that Lansing doesn't have culture, you know, but I mean, I think it's a comfortable culture that we have here. You don't have to put on airs. You can be like this. I'm dressed in jeans, you know, up here. That's our culture. That's a little bit of what it is. There's a lot more that goes into it. Um, but just going to get your mind going a little bit for um, all the different facets of what makes a place a place. So for Corinth, you have um, kind of like the center of the world happening here. There's Rome off to the left, Athens off to the right a little bit, um, Jerusalem way back, it gets a big arrow, and then um, connecting Greece north and south. So this is like an important place, like the whole world for their world would come through Corinth. Um, actually, if you wanted to get something going from Rome, this is the Roman Empire, even though we're talking about Greece. Rome owns all of this. So if the Roman Empire wanted to get something across for their trade route, they would actually um, come to shore on Corinth there. They would drop everything in the big boat, unload it, and then cart it across the four miles of, of that land and then put it into another boat and then keep going. And with the small boat, they would actually like take the entire thing put on a cart, move it across and go, because otherwise it would be 250 miles. So there's that trade, you know, um, but there's also history in Corinth, um, very specific history. So this is Greece, but um, Rome owns the thing, and the, uh, the Corinthians decided that they don't want to be under the thumb of, of Rome anymore. So they said, you know what, how about if you just didn't rule us anymore? And Rome did to them what they did to everybody else that did that. They destroyed them completely, just annihilated them. And then the city of Corinth was razed. 
and it was like this for a hundred years. Um, and then Julius Caesar decided, you know what, I'm going to rebuild this city. I'm going to make it in the image of Rome. All my retired like generals and legionnaires are going to take up residence here. I'm going to put up amphitheaters and stadiums and stuff and um, just injected the culture of Rome into the city in Greece. So this is a little bit of the history. And so now, like 80, 90 years later, um, this is Paul's Corinth that he comes into. So you have that history. You have this center of commerce and the city itself is massive like this is the first time that Paul is actually getting to a place that's the size and scope of this city of Corinth um, we kind of have like a jaded view of how big a city is you know back then 250,000 people was a lot for back then but even by today's standards that's twice the population of Lansing right now so this is a massive place that Paul's coming into so um, all kinds of people, all kinds of different backgrounds, all kinds of religions, all kinds of like ideas and thoughts, ways of doing life, lifestyles, like anything you can think, it's it's all here in Corinth. Um, and as if that wasn't like enough, you know, to kind of like give you a picture of what Corinth is, this is also the uh, the center for the Temple of Aphrodite, which is now PG-13 and turns this port town into like something else entirely. Like the Romans would actually say as a slang term um, to call somebody Corinthian, you know, say that's a Corinthian girl. It would be like, that's a promiscuous person. So that's kind of the backdrop of what's going on here too. So you have all of those facets and this is what Corinth is. And this is where Paul decides he's going to plant a church. That circle that is where Corinth is, but really it's that whole isthmus. So in comes Paul, and he plants the seed of the Corinthian church. Um, he did this, we know Paul went on three different missionary trips, um, so he planted this church on his second trip. Um, he was there for 18 months, he started the church of Corinth, and then he went back where he came from, um, to his headquarters in Antioch. And then actually, the book that we're going to be looking at, 1 Corinthians, was written during his third missionary journey while he was at Ephesus. Because while he was there across the water, um, he heard some news about his old friends in Corinth, this church that he had started. And the news wasn't very good. So we're going to dive right into it. Um, you can open up your Bibles to chapter 13. That's where we're going to be based out of today. Um, and we're going to start with a really interesting place. Some of you might recognize, you know, before we even read it, chapter 13 is a little bit famous. We use it for weddings. Um, before I read it, I just want to give you a little overview of what we're doing, where we're going today. Um, there's going to be three different parts to this message. The first part is that love is, actually all of them are, are like that. Love is dot, 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 something. So love is the most excellent way, that's going to be the first point, love is the true measure of spiritual health, that's the second point, and then love is Jesus on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. Um, so let's go, oh, also, um, before I even read this, the context of, of this, you know, we just see the wedding scripture. Uh, but Paul is actually 
writing this as an admonishment to the Corinthian church. This is actually him addressing all of the issues that he's been talking about as as the letter's been written all the way up, up until now. So we're going to pick it up in 13. Um, actually, we're going to pick it up in 12 at the very last um, very last verse in chapter 12, where Paul says, I will show you still a more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So Paul is presenting to them a most excellent way. Um, you can actually... We're going to skip down. Got to save some time today. Um, so you can actually take what we just read and use it as like a summary statement for all of the issues. And we're going to do that. We're going to take it piece by piece here. Where Paul says, love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not arrogant. In chapter 3, Paul was calling out... Um, the Corinthians, they were, some of them were saying, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. So Paul planted the church. He started this church in Corinth. And then Apollos was actually discipled by um, some famous figures for us, Aquila and Priscilla in the book of Acts. They discipled Apollos and they were like, you know what, um, we're going to send you off to Corinth. And so he took up the work that Paul had started there and he discipled the Corinthian church. And so now you have some of these people turning their um, leaders into these idols almost, you know, and forming factions around them and causing divisions in the church. And Paul's addressing this. He's, um, he's saying to them, since there is envy and quarreling among you, are you not still worldly? And in chapter 3 he goes on, no more boasting about human leaders. Paul planted, Apollos watered, um, but neither is anything compared to the one who causes growth, to the one who actually formed the seed in the first place, the God. And he uh, kind of sums this up in chapter 5 by saying, your boasting is not good. That's what he has to say to them. Continuing on in our little summary statement here, love is not arrogant, or in the NIV, love is not proud. So this is um, kind of like a recurring thing of that word that he keeps saying is puffed up. Like the pride um, that they were displaying is this puffed up kind of like arrogance. Um, so they were proud of a lot of things. They were proud of their human leaders, you know, Apollos and, and Paul. But they're also proud of um, something that was causing the Corinthians, like the unbelievers among them, to be shocked. Uh, they were... 
they're proud of their tolerance towards sexual immorality. There was like a very specific thing that was happening in the church that was just, it was kind of crazy. And they were proud of their supposed knowledge of, of God and the gospel. Going ahead a little bit here. If um, love does not dishonor others, um, or in the ESV, it's not rude. That is a very specific word um, from the Greek. It's only used twice in the entire Bible, actually. Um, I looked it up. It's called ashemino, ashemonio, ashemonio. That means to act unbecoming. Um, and so Paul uses it here in chapter 13. He also uses it in chapter 7, where he was talking to the singles, um, to the people that were reading his letter and hearing of this. And he was saying to them, and warning them to not dishonor one another by getting too physically involved outside of marriage because that was something that he needed to be saying to them. It was an issue. Love is not self-seeking. Um, love does not insist on its own way. In chapter 10, there is this issue of meat sacrificed to idols. And um, food is food. You know, We know this. Paul knows this. If you're spiritually mature... Food is food, but to their situation, their context, what was happening there, there were some um, immature, uh, you know, new to the faith Christians, and maybe some people that they were even reaching out to. And idol worship was alive and well in Corinth. I mean, you had the Temple of Aphrodite, you know, food sacrificed to idols, like it's it got pretty bad. And um, he was here wanting the more mature, this more spiritually mature members of the church to really. Um, have a heart for those who could be led astray, you know. And he wanted them to he wanted for them to be considered towards them. So he says, um, "No one should seek their own good, but the good of others." Because what was normal in Corinth was that everybody would be exercising their own religious freedom, regardless of how that would be impacting anybody else. And he wanted them to um, be look out, looking out for each other. Uh, last one, second last one. Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Or And love is not resentful. So in chapter 6, this is um, it's also kind of crazy. There were members of the church who were taking each other to court. And this was like, for Paul, you know, just heartbreaking. You have unbelievers witnessing... Um, people who were supposed to be saved and changed and transformed by the power of the gospel who were in their own minds so like aggrieved and wrong. They're like, you know what? No, I deserve better than this. I, You have wronged me in this way, in this way, in this way. I'm going to take you to court. And they would um, basically just tarnish the name of the gospel. And it was big news. Like um, this part was also shocking to the Corinthians. Like, this, in a city of 250,000 people, this was kind of the talk of the town that you had Christians suing each other in a worldly court system. Uh, so Paul, he just looks at him, he's like, what? What are you doing? You have already been defeated. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? instead of trying to keep a record of all of this. And so he ends this little section by saying, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in um, the truth. 
So we use this scripture, this passage in, in 1 Corinthians uh, 13 for weddings, you know, and it's kind of like all of the awesome things about love. Um, but that's not what Paul is using it for. He's admonishing the church. And this section actually comes smack dab in between um, 12 and 14, where the Corinthians are trying to gauge their, so they're puffed up in their pride and their knowledge. And they think, you know what, we have this all figured out. We are so spiritual. We're ultra spiritual with all the stuff that we're doing. In fact, I have all of these spiritual gifts. And they were making a big deal about this. And Paul says to them, this your conduct, what you're doing, this does not indicate good spiritual health. There's actually only one thing that indicates good spiritual health. Um, I wonder if you guys probably recognize this picture. You know, everybody knows who this is, Mr. Rogers. The world at large would say of Mr. Rogers, that's a good guy. And I think the world would say that for a very specific reason. He devoted his entire broadcast to... Uh, being what a neighbor ought to be, what a good neighbor ought to be. Some people were asking Jesus in Mark chapter 12, uh, 28 through 31, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered them saying, the most important is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Shall love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your strength. The second is this, shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so Paul, in writing this and telling them, I will show you a still more excellent way. I will show you the way of love. He's, he's mirroring here what Jesus had to say, that this, more than anything, is the measure of our health in God, our, our spiritual health. <clears throat> So, how does God do church? And so it was not how the Corinthians were doing church. God has done church a very specific way, very consistently throughout all of time, throughout history, throughout his story. God has done it through discipleship. So Paul didn't write 1 Corinthians thinking that this would be the fix for them, and all of a sudden all of their issues would disappear. Um, but he did do something that he was thinking would help. He sent them Timothy. He sent them a disciple who would walk alongside of them and remind them of the life that they had chosen when they said Jesus is Lord. Um, we're going to switch gears a little bit as we transition into communion here. Um, the third point, if you remember, love is dot, dot, dot. Jesus on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. Can't get away from 1 Corinthians without talking about the resurrection. So we're going to read it. Um, the scripture reference is up there if you want to follow along. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, and then to the twelve, who Jesus called his disciples. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. 
Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. It is very important that Jesus rose from the dead. Our whole faith hinges on this. Our future hope hinges on this. Jesus, in overcoming sin and death, demonstrates that he has overcome all enemies, even death as an enemy. Um, so I want to introduce uh, a weird concept, the concept of corporate solidarity. Um, sports teams, if you've ever played sports, you know about this. Um, I'm going to start off here. How unfair is it that we live in a fallen world because of Adam and Eve? Like, they sinned, you know? They, Adam and Eve, with a serpent and tree, they took that apple and they ate it. Like, we weren't there. How can we be blamed for that, you know? Like, Leslie, you wouldn't have done that. I, I Probably. You would have stopped Eve, I'm sure, you know? Like, but that's, that's how it is. We live in a fallen world because sin was introduced and we now suffer the consequences of it. But the reverse of that is also true. So corporate solidarity. On a sports team, if one person gets penalized, the whole team is going to suffer the consequence for that penalty. But if one person scores and they make a goal, then the whole team has that point. So... If you remember in Genesis 18, Abraham um, was having a conversation with God and they were looking over at Sodom and Gomorrah and um, Abraham had a personal stake in this conversation. He was looking down onto a city that was about to be destroyed and his nephew Lot and his family is down there and he's just kind of having a conversation with God but also pleading at the same time. You know, he's like, God... What if there were 50 righteous people down there? Would you spare this town for 50 righteous people? And God says, yes, I would do that. And so he's like, okay, if I could be so bold. And he goes, how about for 40? And God says, yes. And they go back and forth, 30, yes. 20, yes. Abraham stops at 10. God says, yes, for 10 people, I would spare this town. He doesn't. Go on, though. You know what the core is of that? He's got one person in mind, right? One family. Why doesn't he go on? Why does he say, God, would you spare this town for one person? It's because he knows that there is no one righteous person down there. Even Abraham himself isn't righteous, even though the uh, book of Hebrews tells us you know, that he is. He's not perfectly righteous. So you see what Abraham stumbled into here is... Um, where I have this picture up. If you had the mountains of God's holiness and the mountains, the insurpassable mountains of God's righteousness, there is a path through there, but the path would have to be walked by somebody who is perfect, perfectly obedient, perfectly righteous. You'd have to find somebody like that. That's it's kind of cool that Abraham stumbles into this. God has said here, in as many words, that if such a person could be found, he would spare that person's whole town. And in the time of Abraham, there was no such person. But we've found that person. We've got somebody who can do this. So for Jesus, um, in Corinthians chapter 15, 
verses 54 through 58. Um, I'm going to shorten it for time a little bit. It's going to read 55. It says, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, we're going to do a little bit of what Paul's doing here. Paul's asking a question of death. And so we're going to personify for maybe the next minute or so. It's going to be really depressing. Um, pretend that death is talking back. So if we ask death, um, Paul's question, death's very interesting, and death responds. And death says, so this is going to be death talking, okay? Death says, my sting is your sin. You are a sinner. I sting because you sin. If you had no sin, I would have no sting. If you had no sin, when you died, you would just fly away to be with God, where all the sinless people go. But there are no sinless people. Remember, the power of sin is in the law, in God's law. In Isaiah 66, 24, it says, And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence, abhorrence to all flesh. Your rebellion to God's law deserves everlasting burning. And that's what death would say. And many of us have heard that answer, and it's, heavy and it weighs on us but don't be tricked by death today because death only ever wants to answer the question of what is your sting but paul's question is different he asks where is your sting and i know some of you uh, there's at least a couple small handful of people that think this is a really cute picture really like this um i'm indifferent but to some people this is terrifying uh for good reason a bee, uh, a bee sting in some people who are allergic could result in an anaphylactic reaction, um, and without treatment, it could result in death. You know, so um, we're going to talk a little bit about a bee sting here. So when a bee stings a person, um, it then buzzes around for a little bit, and then it's done and it dies, and, and that's it. And the stinger is attached to the person, and they have to deal with it. Um, death is very similar to this image. When Paul asks, where is your sting? We already know the answer. The sting is in Jesus. On the cross, he took the sting of death when he died for our sins. He shows us the most excellent way. God, where Jesus says, a love, the greatest love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. As Jesus embodies this love, he lays down his life for us. At the end of the day, there's only one courtroom that matters. We, we're on Jesus' team, and he scores that goal, and we all get to partake in, in getting that point. When God looks at us, he sees what should be our condemnation and what should be... Um, 
I assume you deserve the everlasting burning. He doesn't see that. He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus' righteousness, Jesus' perfection. So for us who are in Christ, there is no longer condemnation. So today, um, as we've received this, as we've received from Jesus his sacrifice, let's not act as if we've done anything to actually deserve it. Don't live puffed up. But I would encourage you to be filled with the spirit that we've received, the spirit of God um, that we have in Christ, that he is our way, our truth, our life. As Jesus paid it all, all to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. I'm going to pray for communion. Please remember. God, it's so amazing that you would, that you would spare your judgment, God, that you would, um, for the sake of one righteous person, you would attribute righteousness to all. And God, that is what we have in Jesus who took on all of our condemnation, all of um, the fiery burning death that our sin causes, God. And, and Jesus took that on himself. And he's got the scars to prove it, God. To this day, he's got the marks of the cross as he sits on your right hand, making intercession for us even now. Guys, I just ask that you be with us. Um, if we have any problems or issues or stumbling blocks in our faith, God, that we would repent once again, turn our hearts and look to Jesus, just completely humble before you, God, not live puffed up lives of pride that are self-seeking and self-serving and try and make our own way in this world, God, but that we would follow after you that you are calling us as sheep and as a good shepherd, God, that we would just follow after you and your path. Let's pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Lansing Area Church of Christ. While we're happy to share this message via podcast, we'd love to pray and worship with you in person. To learn more about our services or to connect with us, please visit us at lansingchurch.org. Have a great week and go with God. Thank you.